Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the mid-alt that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. Hey everybody, how are you feeling? Do you feel like a fully functioning human woman? Or do you feel like a collapsed sofa? <laughs> if the stuffing has been knocked out of you by, well, everything, it might be time to talk about the gut microbiome. Go on, let's. I know it's not sexy repartee, but it's a conversation worth having because it affects, well, everything. Bear with me briefly. Your gut microbiome is a vast ecosystem with bacteria as diverse as the Amazon rainforest. They break down food and help your body to detoxify. They support the immune system. They can affect energy and weight as well as mental health. But along with all the bacteria lurk yeasts, fungi and viruses, good guys and bad guys. And research has now shown that the composition of the gut microbiome can change with dietary intervention, stress levels and quality of sleep. Scientists are increasingly treating the gut as its own organ, which is why we are delighted that this podcast is brought to you by Simprove again. Let me tell you a story. Long before Simprove approached us to sponsor the podcast, I had started swigging it every morning and felt a difference within weeks. It's a water-based supplement that carries live and active bacteria that can endure the incredible journey from mouth to gut in order to start to multiply and produce food for the bugs we already have. Don't even get me started on the gut-brain connection. Now, I've now been using it for six months and I can't get enough of the stuff. Hair, mood, skin, digestion, it's all happening more as it should, as it used to. Mm. Everybody who knows about this stuff knows that Simprove is the best of its kind. You can sign up for a 12-week introductory programme and here's your code for a 15% discount, midult 15 at simprove.com. Simprove, follow your gut feeling. Hi, everybody. I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but last week I wore heels <laughs> for a day. Yes, it really snorts in derision. Snorts dramatically, yeah. I had a day of meetings uh, with some people I'd never met before and I knew I had to be, I had to pretend to be a grown-up. <sighs> and I found a dress I didn't, like, hate to the point where I wanted to cry, <laughs> which in itself was, you know, an occasion, a thing. But it's one of those rare dresses that wasn't going to work with trainers. Also, my trainers were all really fucked. They've all got holes in and the white ones are really dirty. And I haven't got round to sort of <laughs> reorganising my trainer wardrobe. Also, do we like white trainers anymore? Oh, oh well, there's a question. I don't know. Well, I know, but you, what? You think they should be like, yours are blue and orange, aren't they? Yeah, I'm quite enjoying them. But the other day someone showed me some white trainers as a kind of, for my sore foot which I will not bore everybody about. And I thought, oh, do I really want white trainers? I know, but plimsolls I know. to wear with a summer dress. But this dress was like black silk with pink yeah. shit on it. Anyway, so I pulled out some heels, uh, which weren't even that high and had a kind of block heel. And off I went, thinking that I would be thoroughly empowered by this situation. And I was completely disempowered by the situation. So I, I got out of the car, I drove... <laughs> Um, to walk to the first meeting and, and, and walk, I mean, hobble. <laughs> Shuffle sideways. Yes, I mean, crawl, slightly trembling, already in pain, off balance, off centre. I kept catching sight of myself in sort of, you know, glass doors and shop windows. And rather than seeing a sort of magnificent, you know, woman at the height of her powers... Striding past. No, I saw a sort of limping anachronism. <laughs> Like something from not just pre-pandemic, but sort of, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I thought, 
Who are you kidding? And I kept seeing these women looking wonderful as they floated past in jeans and jackets and pretty dresses and plimsolls. And they looked like what we should be doing now. And I looked and felt in pain and also absurd. Uh, It's awful awful to feel sort of embarrassed by yourself. (laughs) But at the same time, I'm saddened by the idea that heels are over for me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That depresses me as well. That I've never been like, oh, shoes and chocolate. It really annoys when people say that about women. Oh, shoes and chocolate. <laughs> I don't really like chocolate. And I've never been obsessed with shoes. But, you know, I always thought that heels gave me something. And now they just take things away. OK. And that is just depressing, generally. A little. A yeah. little. With whatever it is. It could be whatever. Doesn't have to be heels. Yes, yeah. exactly. Anything that anything that makes you feel slightly less than. Yes, I want abundance. I don't want things that rob me of other things. How are you, Emily? Well, I'm absolutely Speaking fine. Speaking of which. Yeah, yeah. Ah, ha, ha. I'm absolutely fine. But dread has taken up residence in my soul, body, wherever. I wake up every morning feeling like with the, just the sort of list repeating over and over again about what I'm going to have to do and how I'm going to manage it. And it's running me. Yeah, I can feel you so thrumming I can feel the vibration of it in you yeah I'm sorry listeners if you get this sort of you know dank vibe off me but this I do, is where I feel you like... do not apologize by the way oh thanks I just and it's you know it's really sad Annabelle because normally I'm a person who looks forward to know. things you know and now I just I feel overwhelmed by my list by my life by everything it's really... and it's on a kind of loop in your head isn't it I find that I keep having to say to you sort of, I hope not brutally, I hope reasonably gently, one thing at a time. You'll follow me around saying, and then we have to do, do again and again, you'll, you'll, you'll speak the list again and again, one thing at a time and yeah. one thing at a yeah, time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I've lost any kind of flow. It feels more like I am, you know, sort of under the river as opposed to going with it, you know? Yes. In a kind of cohesive, like floaty way. I'm just like, I'm in the rapids. I mean, someone, last weekend, someone actually said to me, just go with the flow. I mean... I mean, my first thought, obviously, was, have you ever met me? And taken over the waterfall is how I feel, but anyway, yeah. I have never knowingly gone with the flow, <laughs> or unknowingly gone with the flow. Do you know, I, I'm so, I'm historically, although I'm trying to be different, historically so unflowing that I don't just keep one eye on the time. I don't just have a vague idea of what time it might be. It's like every cell in my body has one eye on the clock. Every molecule of me is straining towards not just punctuality, because being pu- punctual is an act of efficiency and, and sanity. No, it, it's, it's a constant awareness and monitoring of time as it passes. So someone might wonder, oh, what, what do you think the time is? And someone else might take a guess, oh, maybe it's 9.45. And I find myself muttering, it's 10.03, <laughs> without looking at my watch on my phone. And I will be right, which makes me every time feel both smug about my rightness and depressed about the fact that I have this knowledge pulsating through me about the time because I'm so unflowing. You're like mother time. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> Old mother time. So go with the flow, they say. And, and of course, you want to reply, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do that. I can go with the flow. Um, yeah, I can I can definitely do that. But can you just tell me what time does the flow start? <laughs> uh, okay, is that a hard start to the flow or, or a soft start? What I'm really asking is, will I miss some of the flow if I'm not the first one through the door? What am I wearing 
for the flow because you don't want to be overdressed for the flow because then <laughs> you'll feel like a dick. But you also want to make enough effort so that you don't feel like a defeated troll, even oh, though you dear. secretly obviously feel like a, a, a defeated troll. You know, should I wear a jacket for the flow? Uh, should I eat before the flow? Crucially, what is the flow's parking situation? Basically, you need like a, a flow itinerary. Yeah. You, need a, you basically need to share, you need the flow to share the fucking itinerary, please. And you. I want to know if it's like flexi flow, because the likelihood is... <laughs> flexi flow. <laughs> the likelihood is I, I may not sleep before the flow. So if, so if I don't, does the flow factor in naps? Yes. Is the flow... Oh, heels, right? Yeah. Is the flow cobbled? Because can I wear heels? Is it grassy? Because then it's probably wedges. Is it near a loo? Obviously. Should I bring flats? Also, can I just ask you again, will I need a jacket? Oh, my God. Do you know, will I need a jacket is one of those phrases that we find ourselves saying all the time. Oh, you're so right. Will I need a jacket or a jumper or maybe a shawl or possibly a blanket? Oh, that's nice. Probably a a blanket, actually, because all all my jackets make me look like a probation officer. (laughs) They do not. (laughs) You see, my jumpers are mostly just hideously stained and moth-eaten because the ones that aren't have been meticulously packed in plastic bags to save them from the moths. And they've been so saved for best that I've got a couple of my favourite ones that I've had for maybe 10 years and I've worn them maybe twice, which begs the question, what am I saving them for? You're saving them for the flow. (laughs) Do you know my new favourite phrase? You do, actually, because I've been saying it, but I'm going to tell the listeners. My new favourite phrase is, I'm just going to leave that with you. It's my new favourite. What I'm really saying is, this is where I get off the bus. This is where I end and you begin, because this situation is your responsibility. And if you push me to follow you into this space, then I'm going to get nasty and say some terrible things that you will never be able to unhear. <laughs> like the truth. Because you can't handle the truth. If you hear me say, I'm just going to leave this with you, I'm, I'm neither being lazy, actually, nor am I empowering you. I'm telling you that the matter we are discussing is now off my literal and emotional desk, and it's yours to do with what you will. Get it right, though. Don't fuck it up. I'm leaving it with you, but I'm also watching. I'm just going to leave this with you is a last chance to saloon. Fix it or fuck off. I mean, absolutely terrifying. Terrifying, but you get the point. Cold. It's when someone's done something really shit to you or someone you love. I agree. And they maybe want to talk about it. And you want to say, no, actually, you've had enough of my energy. Deal with it. I've got quite a good one when someone is being basically moronic. I mean, in obviously, again, subjective in our <laughs> eyes, right? And of course, you know, we all bring a lot of stuff to the table, so it could be anything. Yeah, but, but you also know when someone's just being emphatically daft. Yeah, and, and possibly bigoted yeah. and really annoying. Yeah. And then you in no way can be bothered to tackle the sheer stupidity of what's being embed in front of you, right? Yes, yes. And you don't want to say you're an idiot, which, of course, might be delightfully freeing. But, you know, as we all know, I couldn't possibly say that because I'm a terrible people pleaser. I don't think even I could say that. (laughs) You're an idiot. Tempting, but instead you can say something like, and this is I love, my goodness, you have given that a lot of thought. (laughs) (laughs) It's really good. And then you move gently away. No aggression, just a kind of wonky admiration that will leave them wondering about, well, basically, hopefully, everything. Hopefully. So I'm going to take your, my goodness, you've given that a lot of thought, and I'm going to raise you, and I'm going to say, if things are really bad, and if someone is just vile and hateful, you might convert, my goodness, you've given that a lot of thought, into, wow. (laughs) Wow. Just wow and glide away or, <laughs> or 
Wow. With a, a bit of a head tilt, some slow nodding and possibly a slightly blank stare. We use this a lot. Wow, it's useful. It's also useful when a reaction is demanded from you, but the expectation of that reaction is that it should be and will be one of extreme admiration. So a hideous wedding dress, <laughs> a terrible piece of art, a revolting child, a, a truly horrifying new boyfriend. Wow. <laughs> wow, what a baby. That's useful too. Wow, what an unusual flavour. Oh, that makes me shudder. Anyway, do you remember when you used to be embarrassed to like ask for directions? Yes. Or to ask for a different size in a shop or to make your you know presence felt in any way? I mean... I remember trying to get my mother to make a dentist appointment for me when I was about 23 because I was just too embarrassed to do it myself. Oh, how the worm has turned, Annabelle. I mean, if we did actually ask for anything, it was always, sorry, sorry, can I have a glass of water? You know, yes, and you know my thing, when you say, sorry, can I have a glass of water in a restaurant? And someone will say to you, not a problem. And you think, that's like a, a, a thing now, not a problem. <laughs> of course it's not a problem. It's a glass of water in a restaurant. <laughs> it's not, can you please help me, like, bury the corpse that's in the back of my car or anything? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> which might elicit, maybe that's a problem. Yes. But also, we say things like, I mean, again, the apologies for everything. Sorry, but this coil fitting is medievally fucking painful. So why don't you fucking offer any pain relief, you misogynist, patriarchal fucking monsters? Yeah, off topic, but I agree. <laughs> Anyway, these days we're all, excuse me, but can you help me find the whatever it might be? In fact, can you not just kindly direct me to the right place, but can you kindly escort me there? Yes, and then, and then, and then it, it, it beds in. So you, seeing as you're, you're clearly so helpful and that other thing you were doing in the shop or whatever can totally wait for a few minutes, can't it? Can you please kindly accompany me for the rest of my time in this shop, museum, airport, you know, on this planet? Because I, I, I seem to have now recruited you. <laughs> but I'm being so marvellous and telling some really quite funny jokes to keep you sweet and make you like me. So ain't, ain't life grand. You're going to stay at my side now. It's the perfect. You have, like, permanent assistance and also a kind of audience. A new friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we need. You know, I need your advice, people say all the time. Oh, it's my favourite. It is your favourite, yeah, isn't favorite. it? It's my favourite. I love it when a sentence begins with, I need your advice, or can I just ask you something? And with me, it's generally, when I'm asking this, when I say this to you, when I say I need your advice, it's normally, is it too late to cancel? Yeah, or, I mean, listen, if we're not saying it, we're thinking it to ourselves all the time. Is it too late to cancel? Every time we look at our diaries, is it too late to cancel? Is it? Is it? Please say it isn't. Is it? <laughs> I know, if you have to ask, it probably is. But, uh, Annabelle, you have serious theories about this. Well, you have some. quite No, no, you're good. You're good at this stuff. Well, I think if it's seated, you've got a problem. If it's seated, you've got to give at least 24 hours notice. I mean, 72 hours for a wedding and they'll still fucking hate you forever. But I think if it's a big thing and it's not your best friend's big thing, then they won't really notice. Do you know our lovely friend Daisy Buchanan, yeah, friend has, of the podcast? She has a really good point on this. She has a she? really good point on this. And she had a book launch the other day and she's like, I really want you to come. I invite you and I'm glad you've RSVP'd. If you can't make it on the day, do not text me and tell me this. So not even a kind of, you know, your disaster story or why you can't, your best excuse, or your most charming possibility or because whatever. Because she'll just find it depressing, like something's being taken away from her, right? Before the thing has even started. Mm. So it's either show up 
RSVP and either show up or don't show up. But whatever you do, don't fucking tell her that you're not coming. A, a good a good thing to do if you don't show up is to send flowers. It'll cost the same as your kind of Uber each way there or your train ticket, or whatever. And it does mean instant forgiveness in 90% of cases. And it's kind of... It's kind of elegant. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine like turning up like the next day and go, I'm so sorry I wasn't there. I hope it went with a bang. And beautiful flowers. Better than anything. Um, and so those are the things that we say all the time. We do. We say them all the time. But how about new things to say? New fun things to say. Yes. And, and you know, if we are even going to have to force ourselves out, what about new things to say to punch up a social situation? Oh, I love a punch up. <laughs> I mean, listen, a lot of these things you can only say if you're feeling insane, it's full moon and you never want to be asked again, which is like mostly the goal, right? Exactly. So it's a winner. So we could start with something like, oh, who else do you hate here? <laughs> Instant bonding. And if they object, then they're really worthy and you can just move on, right? Because they're not your people. It's also a great way of taking the temperature, you know, doing a litmus test. Separating yeah. the wheat from the chaff, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I'm going to take you and raise you. Okay, um, which I love, by the way. Thank if you. you if you want to inject some horror into the evening, you could say, turn to the person to your right and go, well, I personally don't have a problem with you. <gasps> I mean, then you have to be absolutely sure that you never want to be asked again. Um, and you also have to have already decided that you hate the person <laughs> you're talking to and you hate everyone else in the room. Basically, if you turn around someone and at, a, at, a, at a dinner or something and say, well, I personally don't have a problem with you, you are setting off a bomb in the middle of your social life. In fact, I sort of think if you say this, it's a sign that you might be having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> I know. At some point, we need to do all the signs that you're having a nervous breakdown, mostly because I am probably going for towards one right now. So I mean, let's track it. I, I did something. I am tracking you. I did something quite... Punchy the other day. I was, um, do you know what? I, I remembered, I remembered when I used to do lots and lots of interviews years ago. That was, you know, when I was a proper journalist. And I, I remember having um, lunch with a footballer. I think actually we'd done the interview and I think he'd taken me out to lunch and he talked about himself and he talked for like two hours. And I nodded and nodded and, you know, was sort of bored and polite. Um, I was a much younger woman. <laughs> I mean, if that sounds improbable, listeners, it, it's because it is. But anyway. What, that I was ever a much younger woman? <laughs> yes. and, uh, and, and so it went on and on and on. And then finally he said, he, 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 he paused and he said, so, Annabelle, enough about me. What do you think of me? <gasps> oh, my God. I mean, it went, because I was a much younger woman, I think I said, well, I think you're intelligent. He wasn't. I think you're noble and kind and ambitious. And I mean, you're just awful. I mean, that would not happen today. But I found myself sitting next to a different variety of the same man, much older, a few weeks ago. And um, on and on he went. On and on. It was, it was actually, you know when people are, uh, it was punishing, actually. It was punishing the way he went on. And eventually, <laughs> by, which point, by which point I was drunk, he said, um, so uh, tell me about you. And I said, no. <laughs> I love that so much. I said, no. I said, not only is so tell me about you, like that's not conversation. That's really, really lazy. I mean, where do, you, where do you start? I was born, <laughs> I, a poor young boy. But do you and, think that men know? ask that question because they do want to be able to deliver their own biography? Probably. Do you know what I or mean? They, or they, they have. Think, exactly. Or they just have, and yeah. they, have, they have nowhere else to go because they're no. not interested in, in, in you at yeah. all. And I said, no, we're past that point now. 
<laughs> I feel like saying no, we're past that point to everything. Yes, maybe that should be another thing we say all the time. The thing is, we're past that point. Exactly. I'm just going to leave this with you because we're past that point. Yeah, exactly. Oh, gosh, you have given that a lot, a lot of thought. We are past this point. But there are fun things you can say, aren't yeah. there, to, to, to get things moving? Yes, like uh, best and worst sex you've ever had. Yeah, that's always fun. Death row meal. Easy. Polite, you know, yeah. What, what's your death row dinner? That's it's a good, good one. as well because it makes everything anecdotal. Yeah, it's not political. The best question to ask, I think, actually, which someone this happened to me some years ago, because it, it kind of gets you deep, but it's in a, in a sort of loving way. I was having dinner with this is years ago with a really good um, male friend of mine, his mother, who's a therapist, and we're you know jabbering away, chit chat, and she suddenly looked at us both and she said, "Okay, so what are you really?" And he worked in. I don't know, tech or something. And he said, I'm a writer. And actually, she said, what are you really? I'd just broken up with a man I was going to marry. I was in my you know, late 30s. And I said, I'm a mother. And it really focused my mind. And then I went out and did what I needed to do. But um, what are you really is quite a nice question. Gosh, that's quite intense by the canaps. I think maybe I'll just stick to shag, marry and avoid, but everybody, only using people who are at the party. Yes, I think that's a very... Oh, oh do, you, do you remember one of the... Um, we had a really fun night at my house once where we played cheese charades. It's clearly, it was actually the best party game I've ever played. Cheese charades, everybody. Yeah, and charades, where obviously you act out the name of cheeses. Didn't you have to do... Stinking <laughs> Bishop. Stinking Bishop. Bishop. It's absolutely brilliant, honestly. Brie, I mean, it, 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 it's endless fun. I mean, you know, I, you know, so tell me about you. I get quite irritable if people ask me about work. I always think the sign of a successful evening when you're hanging out with someone you've never met before, let's say you're sitting next to a stranger... It's always a really good sign if you can get through the whole of dinner without either of you asking, so what do you do? I completely agree. Yeah, it's a sure sign you're going to be friends. You know what you could also do if you're really stuck is say something like, so what's your desperate small talk gambit? Yes, the implication being, listen, conversationally, neither of us are covering ourselves in glory right now. So what are we going to do about this? (laughs) Exactly. Quick. Let's let's, like my specialist subject is Madonna's work in the 80s or, you know, (laughs) I don't know, films with Sandra Bullock or whatever. Like, you know, let's just go. You know, because we once thought that every time we went out it was going to be a sparkling social situation didn't we yeah the, just that the, the act of being out would have joy and adventure woven through the fabric of it i mean oh how young we were when i say young i mean basically children right yeah i mean it's that thing it's like when you're told when to get home you've got a curfew you've got an sag and you're kind of you know so depressed by the idea of of not having any freedom. Yes, and you know, your, your, your parents say to you, you know, be back by nine, and now we can be out to whenever we want, and all we want to do is be back by nine. <laughs> I know, and there, that's some other sort of not nice surprises in adult life, right? I mean, life well, is... Well, life is full of surprises. And some are nice, and some are not so nice. But, I mean, and maybe, maybe, maybe people listening, and I feel it's unlikely that our <laughs> listeners are, but anyway, are loving being a grown-up. I mean, maybe, maybe you finally coincided with yourself and you're just living the dream. Yeah, but for 99.999% of us, isn't it funny? Ha ha ha, laughs hysterically, cries. Isn't it funny how so many childhood fantasies have become adult nightmares? Because it, 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 it turns out there are a, a, a lot, a lot of, of not nice surprises in, in adult life. Like, for example, when we were 12, we thought... I am an adult. I demand the right to make mm. all the decisions in my life. Yeah, it will be amazing when I can do that. I will be amazing, except it won't. And 
You went. It's, it's awful. It's fucking awful. You make 231 decisions before 8am and quite a lot of them turn out bad. Yeah, you have total decision fatigue I all mean, the time. I know you'd be happy if you never had to make a decision again. Oh, which light bulb do I need? <laughs> oh, God, stop it. It's quite hard to Amazon a light bulb. It's quite hard to know what you need. And I, I, I oh, I hate a lamp that doesn't work. <laughs> I know, you hate light that fails. I do, failing light. Failing light. And if it's not that, if that's not bad enough, you also have to make decisions about other people's lives too, every minute of every day. And really the only decision you want to make is, at this point, is to order an Uber, get off the sofa, go to the airport and never come back. Mm. But even then... Mm. What should decisions. I wear? Exactly. <laughs> what should I wear to travelling? Do I need a jacket? <laughs> Where should I go, fuck's sake? What time do I need to get to the airport? I mean, decisions were in everything. Everything. You used to... Uh, it, you know, it was, sort of, it was comfortable pain, wasn't it, when you were a kid and you could blame everything on someone else, <laughs> mostly your mother, um, or, or take that breaking up. Which but, I literally blame for, like, getting a D in my... <laughs> Maths A level, but anyway, moving on. But then, sometime later, you move horrifically. You move into the era of taking responsibility, and and, and with that comes the blame demon repeating, "Well, you only have yourself to blame." In your ear at three in the morning. Oh God, shut up, demon! Please, can I still blame my parents, my siblings, my friend group, my bad boyfriends? Yeah, yeah. I'm young. <laughs> I do not know what I am doing. Um. You're not that young. I know, to add insult to injury. Sorry. But you still have that teenage brain that means you're wired for danger. Except now, you have to take responsibility for your part in things. Oh, God. Stamps foot, throws self on bed, misses and then falls off the bed and then just cries. Cries Cries and cries. I know. Okay, so me, like... Yeah, this is a very personal one for you, isn't it? One day I'll be able to drink alcohol all the time. Yay! And then she did. (laughs) However I want. And I'll be absolutely fine. I can drink until late. I can drink at lunchtime. I can drink, drinkity, drinkity, drink. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no, you can't. Turns out I can't. You ruined it. I absolutely ruined it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know. I mean, listen, even me, I now end up in a sort of hangover hostage situation for about two days and I cannot be released until I've had a full transfusion. (laughs) Or like, you just never drink again not allowed to ever drink again. absolutely totally ruined it for myself there you go i can't wait to be a grown-up i thought because then i will finally be able to to afford to live the life that i am supposed to be living (laughs) the life that i am destined to be living because i am meant to be rich and have all the stuff all of it well hang on a second i don't understand what do you mean (laughs) i'm gonna have to work all the time and still not be able to afford anything (laughs) what are you talking about This cannot be real. Narrator, it was real. It was real. It was real. Also, also, I shall travel. Oh, how I shall travel. I shall traverse the globe like Mary Wollstonecraft. But in some luxury. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Way more luxury than Mary Wollstonecraft. (laughs) All the sensational holidays that we plan to go on. I mean, India. Yeah, the Northern Lights. The Trans-Siberian Railway. Machu Picchu and the Galapagos. A cruise. I mean, whatever floats your boat. Yeah, Yeah, the open road, independence luxury woven through the fabric of the travel. We have to keep saying that. We have to keep saying that. And then you go, hey, bank account, come over here. I want to travel. (laughs) Bank account dies laughing because you can't even afford to walk up the stairs. I can't actually walk up the stairs because of my hurty foot. Stop telling me what I can and can't watch. Stop telling me what's appropriate, we would say. I mean, listen, 
<laughs> okay, we grew up in the 80s when letting nine-year-olds watch Nightmare on Elm Street was considered broadly fine. But still, there were there were limited screens. Yeah, I mean, like, how many did your house have? Yeah, one for the whole house. Yeah, I mean, four channels. Yeah, and lots of people to argue with about who to watch. Like, for example, I'm still triggered by the annual Bond versus Chitty Chitty Bang Bang Christmas battle. Yes, yes. But, but now that we have power over the remote control and 10 million channels and can watch anything we want, it turns out that we can no longer watch anything that we want. I mean, particularly me. Um, you're watching Stranger... You're, you're putting yourself through the ordeal of watching Stranger Things 4. Uh, we are, yeah. Because screaming and crying. Screaming and time. crying and loving it. But, yeah. but my then has narrowed to an invisible to the naked eye sliver. Because <laughs> it can't be too scary or at all scary. It can't be sad, gory. Can't be too emotional, too dead woman-y. Let's murder all the women-y. <laughs> which is everything. It can't be dead children-y. Can't be too happy, because then I do happy tears, which makes me feel insane. <laughs> or too romantic, can't be too perky, because that makes me feel like the angel of death. Can't be too drab, because why would you? Can't be too anything. You are left with nothing. <laughs> oh, you are left with nothing. But wait. I mean, listen, <laughs> you are not left with nothing. Really? Yes. Really? I mean, there are lots of not nice surprises in adult life and a surprisingly a surprising lack of filthy, spontaneous sex. But, 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 but. To counterbalance the crushing existential disappointment, you also develop improbably intense relationships with things. Yes, like I only ate potatoes yesterday. <laughs> I just said to Emily, all I ate yesterday was his emotional eating. Was was well, there was there was roast chicken, and I didn't want the chicken. Although I just said potatoes. Potatoes matter. They really matter. And very specifically, I don't know if it's a sort of English thing. Whether you have enough potatoes for the mash or the roasting or the dauphin or the dauphin was, if you're being, you know, splashy. But um you know, everyone has their witchy ways. And 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 there is there are a few things more depressing than too few potatoes. So there's the counting, the peeling, the grouping into the potato piles yeah, after like, the is chopping. This, is this is this a portion? Is this yes, a portion? Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, is is this enough? <laughs> mm, I should probably add a few more, and then I'm going to add um, a few more, and 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 then and then and then another couple for luck. Oh, I mean that's clearly too many potatoes, so I better just add a few more, um, and then uh, and then one more just for the potato pixie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because otherwise, and then you have too many potatoes. By the way, <laughs> yes. but you know who cares? Oh, yeah. And uh, okay, so I've got a, another intense relationship that I'm currently having. I mean, maybe you're all like Thomasina Myers. And you've known about zesters for years. Or maybe you're a new convert and now you zest everything. Oh my God, I'd zest you if I could. I violently agree. I mean, you find yourself zesting lime and then fluffing it through rice. Instant tang. Zesting um, oranges and, 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 and folding it through, folding it, notice, folding it through strawberries. I'm, oh my God. I mean, I love this little utensil it makes me feel like a strong capable human woman and let's face it those feelings are in short fucking supply there's the, there's another thing isn't there you told me the other day that makes you feel like a strong capable human woman oh and very God. calm and zen like in your kitchen yes 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 so hot tip guys if you're ever feeling stressed which is me 90 percent of the time find a soft closing drawer what about if your kitchen leaks and you can't afford a soft closing drawer okay well go to someone else's house mine and, yeah. <laughs> and come to my soft closing drawers because basically i've i've worked it out the reason I love my soft closing drawers is because you just put gently push it most of the way and then it does or the rest itself. Yeah, like nothing else in your life. It completes the task quietly without fuss. You were literally saying to the drawer, I'm just going to leave this with you. <laughs> 
It's so true. And then it and it does. All it needed from you was a little push, yeah. which let's face it, being control well, a control freak, you're glad to give it. But then with only one tiny shove, it just gets on with it silently. Mm, silently. So this is what I think. It explains why the 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 like the grandfather character in Modern Family was so incredibly rich. Yes, because he just made closets. And soft closing drawers. It's like the closet millionaire, but you understand why, because it's all these mid-alt women were standing by the soft closing drawers having some kind of resolution and comfort yeah, in their e- life. Yeah, erotic almost. <laughs> I mean, it is really amazing that I am now turned on by drawers. Yeah, speaking of erotic, not speaking of erotic at all, actually, but there's a podcast that, Emily, uh, you told me about it, actually, that we're now both obsessed with. So... It, talking of intense relationships, like I really, really look forward to this one. Hang on there, every word. It's the Rest is Politics podcast. So it's with Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart, whose mutual fury and outrage at the venality of this government, I mean, Emily and I really enjoy, we kind of desperately need, right? Yeah, and to the point where basically I call Rory and Al- I call them Rory and Alistair, like old friends, like, you know. Um, but they've both had a seat at the table. Yes, and it's so full of insight and kind of, but also honesty because their skin is not in the game, yeah, as it true. were. So they can, they've got context as well as, you know, opinion, which is such bliss. Um, you know, it, there's this, this old cliche, isn't there, that the young are the activists and the young care desperately about politics and the young march and the young rage. You're about the inequality, the hopelessness, the line blurring, the fucked up ideologies and the lies, you know, the vomit and the abuse. But actually, I, didn't re- I was too much of an arsehole. I didn't really give a fuck. And now I give so many fucks. <laughs> I just want to you know, lie down under the weight of all these fucks. <laughs> I just really, really care politically. And it, it, that's quite new for me. And if you do, this is the podcast for you. Yeah, exactly. If you have intense loathing of everyone and and are becoming obsessed with our need to exercise our democratic rights all over the world, I mean, the rest is politics. Yeah, that's true. Intense relationship with. Yeah, Ah, size. You know, because sometimes the stress, I can feel it in my gut. No matter how much Simprove I slurp, which has made everything more manageable, my God, I feel it in my gut. Do you know that I think that actually is an improbably intense relationship we have now is with our digestion? I agree with it. There was a time when we were free and breezy, weren't we? We could eat nine (laughs) steaks for dinner with nary a moment of discomfort. Yeah, we just popped up like corks the next day only to do it all again. I I honestly, I went to a a hotel, a dinner in a hotel in Versailles once. God, this sounds so fancy. Marie Antoinette to my right. Exactly. And and we had the tasting menu, this sort of Michelin-starred, tasting menu and honestly we ate and drank for six hours and then the next day we went to look at some dancing horses without even a moment of hesitation now you just look at a steak and it's 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 game over you eat a steak and you're like a sort of boa constrictor who's swallowed a goat and is forced to lie immobile for three days while you digest and then you risk being attacked by 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 vultures. Well, hold on. This is quite a, a, a an incredible David Attenborough type fact. Well, yeah, I, I know, but it's how I feel if I <laughs> if I eat red meat. I mean, it's come to the point, hasn't it, where you can sort of only eat one like big situation a day. Oh my God, we're 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 Miami pensioners now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Eating supper at five in order to give our stomachs some runway. Yeah, flat bed. shoes, <laughs> trench coats, always sunglasses. Um, Soft closing drawers. Yeah, there is a digestion line and and, and we cannot cross it. No. 
that's happened. Anyway, uh, speaking of uh, digestion. Yeah, stay tuned for a chat with the founder of this week's sponsor, Simprove, the delightful Barry Smith. So, Barry, the burning question, the burning question is, how does a farmer become an entrepreneur who sits at the forefront of gut health? I mean, talk us through that. Okay, uh, so it's um, luck, serendipity, really, because uh, it mainly happened by accident in that I was looking for a clean feed for my livestock. And uh, at the time, it was commonplace to use very poor quality feed within concentrates. There's new rules on this now, but to stop it, but it used to have sawdust and chicken feces and rendered waste from the abattoir and laced with antibiotics. And that was something to me that looked like an accident that was going to go wrong. My basic training was as a military nurse and I thought, you know, we need to find a better way. And an idea came past me to use germinated grain. So initially all we were doing was using germinated grain to be a very, very high quality feed for our livestock, which has got nothing to do with um, the field that I'm now in, but it was the stepping stone because that germinated grain would become mouldy within about a week to 10 days. And a marine biologist friend of mine said we could actually pickle this with bacteria. And in doing so, we would preserve it for three to four months and also have the impact of live bacteria. It's a proper mad scientist story. What if we pickled it? So we ended up using the bacteria to preserve the grain. And then we had a dilemma of seeing um, huge health benefits in all sorts of livestock. And we had this big question, is it the germinated grain or is it the bacteria? And my inclination was always that it was the bacterial side that was having the most impact, although we still don't know exactly. And can we just discuss what the benefits to the livestock were? Were they suddenly got like sort of flowing locks and, uh, and skipping around the, uh, the field? Or what, was the, what did you notice about, like, how did you immediately go, oh, they're doing so much better? Well, the first thing on your skipping about point is that um, you can't skip about if you're dead. And so more was skipping about. <laughs> And the biggest thing we okay. were doing... Oh, so you'd been, losing, you'd been losing a lot of animals, had you? No, I hadn't. But generally speaking, within um, agriculture, for example, on a pig farm, the, the mortality level can be commonly anything between 6 and 10%. And so if you can reduce the mortality level, that's great. And we had a major breakthrough with a, a market that was emerging at the time, the ostrich market. And those animals are not genetically refined to be grown intensively. And uh, their mortality rate was hitting 70% of everything hatched. And we took that down to 2%. So they were skipping quite well. And so were the farmers because suddenly they had a, a viable business rather than lots of dead chicks. Yeah. So it's not so much that they were bright eyed and, and prancing. They were alive. <laughs> yeah, that's step one. Step two is that uh, all of those other points that you made was that there was a less, that they, they were stronger growing uh, healthily without the uh, need for antibiotic within the food and making their own way in the world with uh, this help from this uh, magic uh, juice that we were producing. I love making their own way in the world. It's like, and then, <laughs> then, and then he wrote a children's book. No, he didn't. He made the transition from animal feed to human microbiome feed. How did that happen? Well, um, British agriculture was in a poor way. And a very long story short, at that, by that time, we knew the technology worked, but we knew that there was no marketplace for it because if farmers are going bankrupt, they don't buy anything. 
and there was a lot of farmers going to the wall at that time. And so Anne and I made the decision that we would take it to people. We were encouraged by two vets to do so, who said, Barry, you can't stop now, you've got to take it to people. And I basically went round five hospitals, most of whom looked at me as I was completely bonkers, which is about correct, um, <laughs> and uh, were obviously not understanding what I was trying to get across. And then I had a meeting with a, a chap called Professor Ingvar Bjarnason, who became my guide and mentor. And he said many years later that uh, either I was the biggest liar under the sun or he had to investigate how I changed the situation for those ostrich farmers. In fact, he'd written a paper three years before he met me saying that probiotics will never work in gastroenterology and he had to reverse that paper. And Barry, we're talking about over 30 years ago, aren't we? So if the gut is, you know, an evolving mystery now, it was really, you know, an, another planet then, wasn't it? People didn't talk about it nearly so yeah. much. 36 years to be an overnight success, I call it. So. <laughs> <laughs> How so, much yeah. do we actually know today about the microbiome? Well, I think that's probably best put into context when um, our first result came in and I was in my, with my layman's hat on, I was very excited um, about the outcome. Uh, and I said to Prof, the thing is now, Prof, um, the clinicians are, want, are going to want to know which one of the bacteria has done what. It's all very well having a, com a cocktail of bacteria on a, an amazing substrate, so they feed and they're well and they perform and you can get this measurement, but the, the doctors will want to know which bacteria are doing what. And Prof said to me, have you heard of Big Bang Theory, Barry? And I said, well, yes, yeah, sort of. And he said, do you understand it? I said, I said, obviously not. He said, well, you'll never understand this in your lifetime. We haven't started on this yet and you're not going to get those answers in your lifetime. You've just got to keep on going with the positivity that you have and building on that and be aware of the fact that we are scratching at the surface of a totally new universe and we're mm. still scratching. Mm. Because um, from what I understand, the moment you try and, you know, slice open the gut to have a look at the bacteria, they immediately die. <laughs> so they deny you all intelligence, really. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And when you actually um, took the um, concoction, which was, you know, by then called Simproof, to human beings, what response did you start to see in them? The, f the first thing we started to see was a very rapid control of motility within the gut. So in particular, um, if you have someone who's constipated, it could actually have an impact with it or re remove that impact within 24 hours, 48 hours. So some things were very quick. Other things took a little longer. Um, and I suppose the key thing is to realise um, it's not what you see, it's what you measure over a fairly long period of time. So. There are some things that are fairly straightforward and that you get a very quick response on, but the work on that we did with studies on IBS, for example, those patients were on it for three months. So we had to do one month preamble to get them into the study and one month after that to get them out. And they were on it for a full three month period and measured each month. And then you look at all of that data and then what that shows is that you can move virtually every, every parameter in the right direction for that particular disease situation. I think the most exciting thing about that is that once you start to do that, then all of a sudden doctors and clinicians and scientists are knocking at your door and saying, I want to do, be involved and I would like to now check it on my particular patient group. So we found ourselves with a sort of snowball effect of all sorts of people wanting to do many more different studies in lots of different areas, which is very exciting, of course. Yes, yeah, so the hunter becomes the hunted. Yeah. And why would you personally advise people to take Simprove? What, what would you say it can, it can, it can benefit them with? Well, I'd, I would say there's nothing new in the world. It's, it's largely common sense. And if you go back to 500 
years before Christ, Hippocrates said, all sickness comes from the gut. Uh, and, I mean, we should have listened to him, really, because it, it almost definitely does. Um, your gut is the only system that's exposed to the outside world. Gum to bum, they call it, but that's the piece that's connected. And uh, if you have that balanced properly, it is able to feed all of your other systems efficiently, every other system that you have. And if that system is not working properly, they don't get fed, and hey-ho, you start to get a whole host of problems. Mm. Yes, because I, I suppose also if you look after your microbiome, you're going to end up reducing inflammation in the entire system. Absolutely, and, and all of our study work shows that inflammation reduction across the board. I mean, mm. it, it doesn't matter which patient group we go into, so you can go take samples from anything from Parkinson's or C. diff right through to the well biome. But without exception, the inflammation level comes down. So, Barry, you just said to us, you know, I just, you know, I've got loads of ideas, but I'm quite scattergun, and so, I, you know, I don't really talk about where I want to go with it. So I'm going to ask you, where do you want to go with Simproof? <laughs> now, I'm now managed by a very, very good team, but tell me where I'm going to go with it. No, that's not true. Um, <laughs> we, we do have a, an amazing team here and who are trying to guide the most important things forward. There are so many options, it's, it's almost difficult to choose because, without being too frivolous, if you can get your own microbiome to function properly, you will repair yourselves. That, and that means across the board. So essentially what we're saying is, we're not a, a, a probiotic company that is saying our bacteria does this per se and our other bacteria does that. What we're saying is, we have a way of delivering a certain group of bacteria that can stimulate your own bacteria to function at a much, much better level. And by doing that, you can have self-reparation. I mean, there is a, a buzzword at the moment, which is longevity. And I assume from what you've just said that you guys are part of that conversation. We're interested in that. I mean, there's a, a fa one, one of the things that really fascinates me is that bifidobacteria seem to be the bacteria of youth. So you have, uh, as, when you're born, you have about 80% bifidobacteria and that diminishes as you go I love it. It used to be sort of, you know, the elixir of life or the nectar of the gods. Now it's the bacteria. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but when you get Bring older... On the bacteria but, of youth. Yeah. But when, when you get older, that, that particular bacteria subsides. Uh, and again, across the board... Our system, we don't put, even put in bifidobacteria, but, but we stimulate the bifidobacteria to function and to be measurably and significantly higher than it was. So you're, fi it's, you're fixing yourself again. Mm -hmm. We're making your bifidobacteria function and you need that. Mm. Yes, I, I, it's my, I'm swigging Simprove, you know, uh, mango flavoured Simprove every morning is more appealing than like, you know, going to a horrible yoga class or a run. I'll just fix myself with a quick swig and in 10 minutes I'll have a coffee, cup of coffee and then Barry says, everything's going to be fine. I know, and it comes in a new strawberry and raspberry flavour which is completely delicious. Well, so there, there you go. go. Uh, we're huge fans of, yeah. of Simproof, Barry, and now huge fans of you. So yeah. thank you so much for coming on and explaining to us your mad old story. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> Thanks, Barry. Bye. This podcast was bravely brought to you by Simproof. You can sign up for a 12-week introductory programme and here's your code for a 15% discount, middle15 at simprove.com. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Mid-Alt. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. Hold up. 
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.